Part two of the Detection of Forgery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ginger Cucolo. The Detection of Forgery by Douglas Blackburn and Captain Waytham Cattle. Chapter eleven Erasures. The alteration of the figures and amount written on a check is generally effected by erasure. At one time chemicals were used for this purpose, but forcing the modern check is forgery-proof in this respect. No means are known to chemists by which ordinary writing can be removed from a check without leaving a sign too pronounced to escape detection. But even eraser on a check is extremely difficult, and the experienced eye of the average bank teller can detect it in the vast majority of the cases. Frauds perpetrated by this means are very rare, and are usually the result of gross carelessness on the part of the person accepting the document so altered. The more frequent form of check fraud is effected by adding to such words as 6, 7, 8, and 9. The addition of T-Y and Y is all that is necessary. But the ordinarily careful businessman never leaves sufficient blank space between his words to admit of this addition, while there are few bank tellers who do not carefully scrutinize a check made out for these larger amounts. It may be accepted as a satisfactory fact that check forgery is not only extremely difficult, but rarely successful. Great frauds are usually perpetrated by means of other instruments, such as bills of exchange, credit notes, and such. An eraser is the easiest thing to detect if looked for. To begin with, it is only necessary to hold a scratched document to the light to have the alteration revealed. Erasing must of necessity remove part of the surface of the paper, which is made noticeably thinner at the spot erased. In nearly every case, the writing that has been added to the eraser is blurred, owing to the rough and absorbent character of the paper. Expert forgers have devised means of counteracting this by rubbing in some substance which particularly restores the original smoothness and mitigates a blurred appearance. But such devices ought not to be successful for they are so easily detected. As a matter of fact, the only chance the forger of an erased check has lies in the carelessness of the teller. Any crowding of words and unequal spacing in the filling up of a check ought to excite suspicion and provoke careful and closer scrutiny and, it may be added, it generally does. The letter of letters intended to increase the value of a number, such as the adding of T-Y to 6 or 7, is easy of detection if properly looked for. It is safe to assume that the addition has been made long after the original word was written, and the point of junction can be detected by the aid of a good glass. Had the word been originally written 60, the chances are that there would be no perceptible break between the X and the T. Few persons write such short words in a disconnected manner. On placing the word under an ordinary glass, the point of juxtaposition will be plainly apparent, and a microscope or an enlarged photograph cannot fail to reveal the fraud. Of course, these latter tests will not be possible under the ordinary circumstances attending the paying out of a check over the counter, but when once the peculiarities of such alterations have been studied, it is marvelous how quick the eye becomes in recognizing them at a glance. Eraser on writings on stout, thick paper is not quite so readily noticed as those on thin paper such as checks, but the same methods of examination will apply, holding the document to the light, or level with, and horizontal to the eye. A very effective application of the latter test is to bend or curve the paper, making an arch. The bending has a tendency to stretch and widen the erased part, and if any smoothing substance such as starch or wax has been added to restore the gloss of the scraped portion, it will usually reveal itself by separating and coming away in dust or tiny flakes. This process may be accentuated by drawing the suspected document over a ruler, 
or better still a pencil repeating the motion several times chapter twelve pencils and stylographs it is obvious that writing executed with a pencil or the now much used stylograph will differ in many respects from that performed by an ordinary pen it is not too much to say that their use will eliminate many features and introduce new ones this change is mainly brought about by the different way in which a pencil or stylograph is held in comparison with a pen there is much greater sense of freedom the pencil can be and is turned and twisted in the process of making a stroke as a pen cannot be and the signs of this freedom become apparent in a more rounded stroke even a writer whose characters are acutely angular shows a tendency to a more graceful outline as a matter of fact it is comparatively rare to meet a penciled writing that is pronounced angular the same remarks apply with only little modification to writing produced by the stylograph and for the same reason the ease and freedom with which the instrument is held there is no possibility of mistaking writing produced by a stylograph for that of an ordinary steel nib the strokes are absolutely uniform in thickness no nib formed writing can be so for it is impossible for a writer however careful to avoid putting pressure on his pen at some point and the opening of the nib however slight must produce an apparent thickening therefore recognizing these facts the expert is always extremely careful in giving an opinion upon a writing produced by pencil or stylo unless he have simple specimens of the writings productions done with these instruments at the same time although an absence of characteristics present in pen writing would be noticeable the main features would exist for example the space between words and letters would be the same the dot over the i would be in its customary position the bar of the t would be of the same type as heretofore the principal changes would be in the direction of a more uniform stroke with a tendency to greater rotundity persons who habitually employ the stylo very frequently develop an unconscious habit of twisting the pen at certain points so as to form a deep rounded dot this occurs principally at the end of words and strokes a magnifying glass reveals this peculiarity at once and when discovered notice should be taken of the circumstances under which this twisting is usually done it will be found most probably that the trick is uniform that is certain letters or strokes are mostly finished with the dot there is a well-known public character who for years has employed no other writing instrument but the stylo his writing possesses one peculiarity which is so habitual that in four hundred examples examined it was absent in only five he forms the twist dot at the end of the last letter at the end of every line the inference and explanation is that in raising the pen to travel back to the next line he twists it with a backward motion in harmony with the back movement another trick is to make the same dot in words on which he appears to have halted or hesitated before writing the next in every such case there is an extra wide space between the word ended by a dot and that which follows it would appear as if the writer mechanically made the dot while pausing to choose the next word this is a striking example of the unconscious hand gesture something akin to it occurs in the handwriting of a famous lawyer here and there in his letters will be noticed a faint sloping vertical stroke like a figure one those who have seen him write explain it thus while hesitating in the choice of a word he moves his pen up and down over the paper and unintentionally touches it it is such slips as these which often supply the expert with valuable clues to identity when they occur they should be carefully examined for in the majority of cases a reason will be found for their presence chapter thirteen anonymous letters and disguised hands that mischievous and cowardly form of secret attack the anonymous letter demands unfortunately a large amount of attention from the handwriting expert 
one of the most pleasant rewards that can attend the conscientious and painstaking student of handwriting lies in the knowledge that his art may sometimes enable him to bring to deserved punishment the assassin of reputation and domestic happiness it is a moot point which has been discussed by legal authorities as to whether the handwriting expert is justified in tendering evidence and opinions of a kind that may be said to belong by right to the criminal investigator by this is meant that the expert should not be allowed to point out to a jury such pieces of circumstantial evidence as the similarity of the paper used by the suspected person with other found in his possession that he ought not to direct attention to postmarks coincidence of dates similarity of ink used the employment of certain words and phrases and other external and direct clues that point to the authorship it is urged that the whole duty of the expert is to say whether in his opinion two or more writings are by the same hand or not and any expression of opinion outside this question is ultra vires the obvious answer to this objection is that it is impossible to limit the expert in the selection of those points which appeal to and assist him in forming an opinion it is impossible to say what may or may not suggest a valuable clue to a keen observer and as the expert is often called upon to give reasons for his opinion he is quite justified in indicating the steps by which he arrived at it these circumstances arise more often in connection with anonymous letters than with ordinary signature forgeries for the field of exploration and the material examined are so much larger details become invaluable the quality and make of the paper used or a peculiar method of folding and placing it in an envelope may afford a clue that will put the expert on the high road to an important discovery it is impossible to say how or where a clue may lurk the torn edge of a postage stamp once supplied a hint that was followed up successfully a smudge on the envelope that matched a similar one on a packet of envelopes in the writing case of a person quite unsuspected led to conviction as did a number of an address that was crossed out and rewritten the anonymous writer having by force of habit begun with the number he was in the habit of writing his own in short the expert has nolan's volans to assume many of the functions of the crime investigator in dealing with the apparent trifles even if they do not always help in reaching his goal they provide material for exercising the useful art of observation strictly speaking the expert should perhaps ignore all outside suggestions as to the authorship and combine himself to saying whether or not the specimens submitted are in the same handwriting but in practice this will be found extremely difficult if not impossible for the student cannot shut his eyes to the accidental clues that invariably arise in the examination of the evidence and almost before he realizes it the most cautious expert finds himself trespassing upon the ground that by right should be the preserve of the detective the points raised here may however be safely left to be dealt with by the judgment of the student as they arrive in the early stages of study they will probably not present themselves with the same force and frequency as later on when they will be appreciated as providing useful private pointers for guidance and though at times they may put the inexperienced student upon a false scent he will have no difficulty in detecting his error if when in doubt he follows the principles laid down for the comparison of handwriting the first step to the examination of the anonymous letter consists in procuring as many suspects as possible which as before advised should be lettered or numbered and put aside until the original which in this case is the anonymous letter has been studied and mastered the external evidence of which so much has already been said may or may not be looked for next proceed with the examination and comparison of the writing it is presumed that the student has prepared his notes of the peculiarities of the original he is now to search for them in the suspects suppose he begins with the spurs and beards having found them well marked in the original 
he will take any one of the suspects and examine it for a repetition of the same sign he may follow on with the rest of the suspects taking advantage of his memory being fresh on this point or he may prefer to exhaust one suspect of all its evidences before proceeding with another but practice and experience will decide the best course in this matter and influence the line of procedure whatever method is pursued all have the same object the discovery of the peculiarities of the original in one or more of the suspects and the student will be wise if he will follow accurately the course laid down in the chapter on how to examine a writing it is generally safe to take it for granted that the writing in an anonymous letter is disguised there are occasions when the author persuades another person to write for him but only rarely for the perpetrator of a contemptible act is not usually brazen and indiscreet enough to expose himself to others the same reasons lend strength to the presumption that the writing will so far as its general appearance goes be as much the opposite of the author's usual style as his ingenuity can make it the extreme backhand occurs very frequently it seems to be the first impulse of the anonymous writer to avoid the right slope even when the normal hand is a vertical with a tendency to backhand the extreme left slope is often chosen fortunately the assumed backhand is one of the most transparent of disguises if the student has practiced it he will not need to be reminded how difficult it is for a writer to conceal his mannerisms by altering the slope he has only stretched and lengthened his outlines and the expert soon learns to recognize them in their new form another common disguise is the illiterate hand this is quite as easy of detection it is no easier for the practiced and fluent writer to reproduce the shaky irregular outlines of the illiterate than it is for the speaker of pure and cultured english to imitate the coarse accent of the vulgar however good the copy it always breaks down early and the sudden and unconscious firm clear and geometrically accurate strokes reveals the practiced writer beneath the mask sometimes an accurately placed punctuation mark supplies the necessary clue for when once the art of proper punctuation has been acquired it becomes almost automatic even experienced novelists are caught this way occasionally they will introduce a letter supposed to be the work of an illiterate character the grammar and orthography suggest the idea but the more difficult details of punctuation will be attended to even to the apostrophe that marks the glided g in such words as talkin comin and so forth very difficult and troublesome is the letter written throughout an imitation printed characters the expert has to rely upon the curved lines accidental punctuation marks and unpremeditated flourishes and hand gestures but broadly speaking such a letter is beyond the skill of the expert if unaided by accidental betrayal if as sometimes happens the writer is ingenious enough to adopt an alphabet formed completely of straight lines and angles an easy task he may boast of having produced a detection-proof writing that is if characters formed with the aid of a rule can be called writing for it defies detection because there are none of the signs essential for comparison and is less easy of identification than an incomplete skeleton in the absence of external clues an expert would refuse to do more than offer a very guarded opinion and it would be wiser to decline to offer any comment whatever Another trick that has been resorted to by some persons is writing with the hand constricted by a tight-fitting glove. This produces a very effective disguise, but if the student will practice with the same impediment, he will discover many useful rules for guiding him on the road to penetrating this entanglement. It should be remembered that the less control a writer has over his pen, the more likely he is unintentionally to revert to those forms to which he is habituated for. Left by itself, the hand steers the more familiar course disguise alteration and variation on customary forms are the result of premeditation when the mind is occupied more with the subject than the formation of characters the latter naturally assumes that shape to which the form of custom has bent them
Chapter 14. Forged Literary Autographs. The collection of autographs, letters, and documents of literary and historical interest has for many years been a prominent feature in the collecting world, but at no time was the quest more keen or conducted on more systematic lines than today. The records of the leading salesrooms often supply matter for surprise, the prices asked and obtained for rare and choice specimens being such as to excite both wonder and amazement, sometimes tempered with skepticism. It is therefore not surprising that this profitable and growing market should have attracted the fraudulent, for the prizes when won are generally of substantial character, and amply repay the misapplied effort and ingenuity demanded. The success which has attended too many of these frauds may be largely accounted for by the fact that in many cases the enthusiasm of the collector has outrun his caution. Many a man famous for his astuteness in the pursuit of his ordinary business has allowed himself to fall an easy victim to the forger, thus exemplifying the familiar adage that we are easily persuaded to believe what we want to believe. The recorded stories of some of the frauds perpetrated upon ardent and presumably judicious collectors read like the tales told so often the triumph of the confidence trickster, and one marvels how a person of ordinary power of observation, to say nothing of experience, could fall a victim to a fraud requiring little perception to detect. The explanation doubtless lies in the direction indicated, the ardor of the pursuit, the pride and joy of possessing something that is absolutely unique. The leading case, to use an expressive legal term, is that known as the Vrain Lucas fraud, the principal victim of which was Monsieur Charles probably the greatest of modern French geometricians, and one of the few foreign savants entitled to append the distinguishing mark of a FRS of England. Lucas was a half-educated frequenter and nominal reading student of the great Parisian library, and for some years had dealt in autographs in a small way, the specimens he offered being undoubtedly genuine. Inspired by the collecting ardor and the apparent blind faith placed in him by Monsieur Chasselet, Lucas embarked upon a series of deceptions so impudent that it is easy to sympathize with the defense put forward by his advocate at the trial, namely, that the fraud was so transparent that it could only be regarded as a freak. In the period between the years 1861 and 1869, Lucas sold to his dupe the enormous number of 27,000 documents, every one a glaring fraud. They comprised letters purporting to have been written by such improbable authors as Abelard, Alcibiades, Alexander the Great, to Aristotle, Cicero, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, Sappho, Anacreon, Pliny, Plutarch, St. Jerome, Diocletian, Juvenal, Socrates, Pompey, and most stupendous joke of all, Lazarus, after his resurrection. It is hard to believe, and but for the irrefutable records of the court, few would credit the fact that every one of these letters was in the French language, and the dupe a highly educated mathematician of European repute. In the face of such incredible gullibility, one is disposed to regard the sentence of two years' imprisonment and a fine of five hundred francs as extravagantly severe, even despite the fact that Lucas received an all over a hundred and forty thousand francs from Monsieur Charles. The Shatterton and Ireland forgeries are familiar to all educated persons. These, however, hardly come under the head of the class of fraud with which the ordinary forger is associated. In each of these cases, the motive of the deception was not so much to make money as a literary reputation. In both cases, presumably competent judges were deceived, but the standard by which they gauged the genuineness of the productions was not calligraphic, but literary. In neither instance was there occasion or opportunity for the handwriting expert to exercise his skill, for the sufficient reason that there existed no material with which the writings could be compared. 
what the literary expert had to do was to examine and compare the style of the compositions a test in which the idiosyncrasies and predilections of the judge played a leading part probably the greatest and for a short time the most successful autograph fraud perpetrated in great britain was that known as the case of the real bank mss the detection and exposure of which were mainly attributable to one of the authors of this work captain w w cattle just before and up till 1891, there was in Edinburgh a young man named Alexander Howland Smith, who claimed to be the son of a reputable Scottish law official and a descendant of Sir Walter Scott. On the strength of his presumed connection with the great novelist, he had no difficulty in disposing of, to an Edinburgh bookseller, for prices whose smallness alone should have excited suspicion, letters purporting to be in the handwriting of Sir Walter Scott emboldened by success he embarked upon a wholesale manufacture of spurious letters bearing the signature of burns edmund burke sir walter scott grattan and thackeray his principal victim was an edinburgh chemist mr james mackenzie who when the fraud was not only suspected but proved distinguished himself by a stubborn and courageous defence of the genuineness of the documents smith's modus operandi consisted in purchasing large-sized volumes of the period of the subject of his forgeries and using the blank leaves for the purpose of fabricating the letters in may eighteen ninety one a number of alleged burns letters were put up for sale by public auction at edinburgh fetching the surprising paltry price of from twenty to thirty shillings apiece it was a feature of all smith's productions that the letters were extremely brief a feature common to literary forgeries the circumstance which first gave rise to suspicion was that the letters attributed to scott burke burns general abercrombie Groton, and thackeray all began and ended with the same words those signed by sir walter scott all began i have your letter and ended i remain a form of phraseology the reputed writer never used but which according to smith was common to all the distinguished men whose handwriting he had counterfeited with considerable success on the strength of the partial guarantee provided by the sale of some of these documents at a reputable auction room captain cattle purchased a parcel of alleged scott letters without prior inspection a brief examination disclosed their fraudulent nature and smith was arrested the edinburgh police took the matter up and the impostor was convicted in june eighteen ninety three and sentenced to eighteen months imprisonment thackeray and dickens are favorite subjects with most literary forgers Washington and Benjamin Franklin running them very close for favoriteship. American collectors are particularly keen on procuring specimens of the last two named, and there is grave reason to believe that many fall easy victims. Fortunately, the facilities for comparing and testing the genuineness of the autographs of every distinguished person whose holographs are most in favor with the forger are numerous. In addition to the splendid collection of specimens extant at the British Museum Library, there are many facsimiles available. The excellent work on autograph collecting by Dr. Henry T. Scott, Upcott Gill, London, is indispensable to the collector. It contains some hundreds of specimens, specially selected for the purposes of comparison, and gives besides many very valuable rules and hints for detecting the real from the sham. Dr. Scott, writing in the autographic letters of his distinguished namesake, says, of Sir Walter Scott's autographs, it may be observed, one, the paper is generally letter-sized, gilted-edged, with a soft, firm feeling to the touch, and an unglazed service. Two, the date and residence are placed on the top and right hand, with a good space before the, my dear sir, uniform margins on the left side of the paper of a quarter of an inch, but on the right side no margin at all, the writing being carried close to the edge. 
the folding is done with the precision of a man of business forming the space for the address into a nice oblong almost in the centre of the sheet and the first line of the address is written nearly in the centre of the space with the remainder below the watermarks found on the paper are one of the following valleyfield eighteen o nine c wilmot eighteen fifteen j dickinson and company eighteen thirteen j dickinson eighteen sixteen j dickinson without date j watman eighteen fourteen j watman without date turkey mill eighteen nineteen turkey mill without date g c and company eighteen twenty eight the paper used by burns for his correspondence was always large in size rough in surface never glossy and all four edges had the rough edge that is the peculiarity of a bank of england note it is worthy of remark that in the case of the a h smith burns forgeries suspicion was first excited by a simple but significant matter the paper contained several wormholes these had been carefully avoided by the writer he knowing that if his pen touched them the result would be a spluttering and spreading of the ink now it is safe to assume that these wormholes being the effect of age did not exist at the time of the letter if genuine was written as the worm did its work long afterwards it must be regarded as a fortunate circumstance that in perforating the paper it refrained from destroying the writing carefully selecting the wider spaces that the poet had with commendable foresight left for the insect's degradations the letters of thackeray are in two styles of handwriting the earlier sloping slightly the latter vertical round neat and print-like the capital i being invariably a simple vertical stroke his is the most neat and uniformly readable hand of all the great literary characters it is somewhat unfortunate that he was not anything like so uniform in his choice of paper letters are in existence on an extraordinary variety of material from a quarto sheet to a scrap torn from half a sheet of note-paper on many of these letters is neither address nor date but when once the characteristics of the charming handscript have been mastered they are never forgotten and are recognizable amid the closest imitations there are extent a number of forged thackeries their distinguishing features are that they are invariably very short as if the forger feared to provide sufficient matter to supply material for comparison most are on single half sheets of note paper many on quarto sheets of varying texture and quality and the characteristic vertical eye thackeray's trademark always occurs it is shaky and often out of the perpendicular as the genuine rarely is in the forgeries we have seen and suspect to be the work of a h smith a very significant sign is the sudden thickening of the downstroke of tailed letters like y f g producing a tiny diamond-shaped excrescence in the middle of the letter the glass reveals that ragged edge stroke which is inseparable from the writing of the nervous copyist it is generally safe to be cautious about very short letters the forger well knows how difficult is the task of maintaining an assumed character just as the mimic may succeed in reproducing the tone and manner of a person with sufficient closeness to deceive even the most intimate acquaintance of the subject yet fail to carry the deception beyond a few words or phrases so the literary forger invariably breaks down when he attempts to simulate handwriting over many sentences so conscious is he of this great difficulty that he often avoids it boldly copying some genuine letter we have had offered to us guaranteed thackeray letters which we immediately recognized as such in one particularly garing case the forger had copied the original letter very fairly so far as the penmanship was concerned but while the original was written on a half sheet of note-paper the forgery was on a different size paper and the writing across the length of the paper instead of the breadth this naturally disarranged the spacing between the words which in all thackeray's writings is a pronouncedly regular feature and this variation was in itself sufficient to excite suspicion 
The popularity of Dickens among collectors grows steadily, despite the fact that he was an industrious correspondent, and that a very large number of his letters appear from time to time in the market. The demand is ever in excess of the supply. As a consequence, he has suffered perhaps more than any of the literary immortals at the hands of the forger. Yet it is safe to say that there should be no writer so safe from fraudulent imitation, for there is a peculiar distinctiveness about his calligraphic productions that, once seen and noted, should never be forgotten. Specimens are easily available. The catalogues of dealers are constantly presenting them, and most public libraries possess examples, either in the original holograph or in some form of reproduction. Probably no writer preserved his style with such little change as Dickens. His signature in later years varied somewhat from that of his literary youth, but the body of his hand script retained throughout the same characteristics. It was always a free, fluent, graceful hand, legible as that of Thackeray when its leading peculiarities had been mastered, but less formal and studied than his. It was always remarkably free from corrections and interlineations. He wrote with the easy freedom of the stenographer. Indeed, it is easy to recognize in the delicate, gracefully formed letters the effect of years of training in the most difficult and exacting forms of handscript. Perhaps the leading peculiarities in the Dickens holograph are these. The date of the month is never expressed in figures, but always written in full. In fact, abbreviation in any form he never countenanced. The letter Y, both his capital and a small letter, is a figure 7, except in affix L-Y, when the two letters become an F, or long stroke S. The letter T is crossed by the firm downward bar, which the character readers claim as a sign of great resolution. The letter G is invariable in form. Capital E consists of a downstroke with a bar in the center. The hook of many final letters has a tendency to turn backwards. New paragraphs are marked by beginning the line about an inch from the left-hand margin. A very marked peculiarity noticeable in many letters is that the left-hand margin gradually grows wider as the lines approach the bottom of the page. The narrowing is wondrously regular. A line drawn from the first letter on the first line to the corresponding position on the last will touch nearly every other line. This peculiarity appears to have escaped every forger whose work we have examined. If the signs relied upon by the readers of character and handwriting are to be accepted, self-esteem was a pronounced characteristic of the great novelist. His writing abounds with those subtle symptoms of the prevalence of that weakness. His signature is perhaps the best known of any with which the British public are familiar. It is remarkably uniform, and remained precisely the same from the time he adopted it after the Pickwick period until his death. That which he used in youth was less striking, but nonetheless self-conscious. After the Pickwick period, Dickens adopted the use of blue paper and blue ink. Letters in black ink, if undated, may safely be attributed to the earlier period. His note paper was in later years of the regulation note size. The address, Gads Hill Place, Highham by Rochester, Kent, was an embossed black old English letter. His paper was handmade and of good quality. The envelopes were blue, of the same quality paper, but without crest, monogram, or distinctive mark. Dickens' vanity expressed itself in the habit of franking envelopes, i.e., by writing his name in the left-hand bottom corner, after the fashion in vogue when peers and MPs enjoyed the privilege of free postage. His letters of the pre-envelope period, before 1842, were on quarto sheets. These are exceedingly rare. There is one feature about autographic forgery which may always be relied upon to assist greatly in the work of detection. As a general rule, there is sufficient matter in a literary forgery to supply the necessary material for comparison. It must, of necessity, be a copy, if not of an existing original, at least of the general style. 
the process of imitation must be slow and cautious and the signs remain in shaky broken lines and a ruggedness entirely absent from the writing of the real author which is fluent and free even the shakiness of age noticeable in a few distinguished handwritings is different to the shakiness of the forger's uncertainty chapter fifteen forged signatures the most difficult phase of the art of the handwriting expert consists in the detection of forgery and signatures it will be obvious to the student who has followed the instructions and illustrations already given that this difficulty is brought about by two principal causes first by the paucity of material for comparison secondly because of the very important fact that a forgery must by its nature be a good and close copy of an original this means that the unconscious tricks and irregularities that often abound in a long letter written in a more or less disguised hand are almost entirely absent from a forged signature it follows therefore that the student must have some other clues and rules to guide him for he cannot rely upon the chance of a slip or accidental trick occurring in a signature that contains at most perhaps a dozen letters the first step in the examination of a suspected signature is to master thoroughly the various characteristics of the genuine signature these must be studied in every possible relation and from as many specimens as can be obtained the magnifying glass must be in constant use and the eye alert to detect the angle at which the pen is habitually held the class of pen used and the degree of pressure and speed employed these last named points can only be discovered as a result of practice and observation and though at first sight it may appear impossible to form a correct estimate of the pace at which a pen is travelled the student will if observant soon learn to detect the difference between a swiftly formed stroke and one written with slowness and deliberation by making a number of each kind of stroke and carefully examining them through a glass the student will learn in an hour more than can be taught by means of verbal description the study of the genuine signatures must be continued until every stroke and its peculiarities are as familiar as the features of a well-known face for until one is thoroughly impregnated with the original it will be useless to proceed with the examination of the suspect at first sight the student will probably perceive very little if any difference between the original and the suspect it would be a very clumsy forgery if he could gradually the points of dissimilarity will become clear to him and with each fresh examination they grow plainer until he is surprised that they did not sooner strike him they are so obvious that the eye cannot avoid them they stand out as plainly as a hidden figure after it has been detected in the well-known picture puzzles there are few faculties capable of such rapid and accurate development as that of observation thousands of persons go through life unconscious of the existence of certain common things until the occasion arises for noticing them or accident forces them upon the attention then they marvel that the things should have escaped observation this is a truism no doubt but the force of every platitude does not always present itself to every one the comparison of handwritings is so essentially a matter of cultivating the powers of observation that even if turned to no more practical account than that of a hobby its value as a mental exercise is great there are two principal methods by which a signature may be forged first by carefully copying the original as one would copy a drawing secondly by tracing it the first process is referred to as copy the forger will most probably have practiced his signature before affixing it to the check or other document thereby attaining a certain degree of fluency but however well executed close examination with the aid of the magnifying glass will reveal those signs of hesitancy and irregularity that one may reasonably expect to find in a copy 
There is no part of a person's handwriting so fluent and free as his signature. Even the most illiterate persons show more freedom and continuity of outline in their signature than in the body of their writing. This is explicable on the ground of usage. A writer may feel a degree of momentary uncertainty in forming a word that he does not write frequently, but his signature he is more sure about. He strikes it off without hesitancy, and in the majority of cases appends some meaningless flourish, which may be described as a superfluous stroke, or strokes added for the purpose of ornamentation, for added distinctiveness, or in some cases, and particularly with businessmen, with the idea that the flourishes help to secure the signature from forgery. Some writers will probably be surprised to learn that there is no form of signature so easy to forge as that involved and complicated by a maze of superfluous lines and meaningless flourishes. The most difficult signature for the forger is a clear, plain, copy-book modeled autograph. A little thought and examination will make the reason for this clear. Let the signature be enveloped in a web of curves and flourishes, making it look like a complicated script monogram. The lines are so numerous that the eye cannot take them all in at a glance, and if copied, any slight irregularity or departure from the original is more likely to pass undetected amid the confusing network of interlaced lines. If, on the other hand, the signature be simple and free from the bewildering effects of flourishes, the entire autograph lies revealed. A clear and regular outline, and the slightest variation from the accustomed figure, stands out naked and plain most of the successful forgeries will be found to be on signatures of the complicated order their apparent impregnability has tempted the facile forgery opened up more than one forger has admitted that his initiatory lessons were prompted by an innocent challenge to imitate a particularly complicated forgery proof signature it must be remembered that the eye of the casual observer takes in a word as a whole rather than in detail this explains why an author can rarely be trusted to correct his own proofs he knows what the word should be, and in reading his work in print, he notices only the general expected effect of a word. It needs a trained eye of the proofreader to detect the small c that has taken the place of the e, the battered l that is masquerading as an i. So long as the general outline of the word is not distorted, the wrong letters are often passed, and is much the same with the signature with which one is fairly familiar the trained examiner of handwriting like the proofreader knows what to look for and discovers irregularities that would escape the notice of the untrained eye the first part of a genuine signature that should be examined is the flourish which includes all fancy strokes appended to it and any superfluous addition to the body of the letters a close scrutiny through the glass will show that the lines forming the tail flourish are generally clear firm and sharp in outline being formed not only without hesitation but with a dash and decided sweep that are strongly at variance with the broken saw-edged unsteady line of the copy it will also generally be found to follow an almost fixed rule in the matter of its proportionate conformation that is supposing the writer finishes up with the horizontal line under his signature it will be seen on averaging a dozen or so of them that the distance of the line from the feet of the letters is proportionally uniform if the line be begun with a spur or curved inward hook that feature will be repeated the end of the flourish or final stroke at that point where the pen leaves the paper should be very carefully examined one writer finishes with an almost imperceptible dot as if the pen had been stabbed into the paper another finishes with a curve either upward or downward a third with a hook turned upward either a curve or an angle while a fourth continues the line till it becomes finer and sharper to vanishing point some writers are fond of concluding with a more or less bold and expansive underline running horizontally with the signature a close examination will show a variation in the degrees of thickness of such a line which should be carefully noted and looked for in other genuine signatures 
in this connection it will be found extremely useful and instructive to study strokes either horizontal or vertical with a view to discovering whether they were struck from right to left top to bottom or vice versa the glass will render it easy to detect from beginning from end after a few failures which by the way should not be allowed to discourage for every minute devoted to the study of handwriting is so much gain in experience and represents so much more learned which will never be forgotten the flourishes that occur on and about the signature proper must be treated as exaggerated loops and their shoulders arcs hooks and toes carefully measured and noted for this purpose an average genuine signature should be selected and gauged which is done in this way place over it a sheet of transfer paper with the scale rule and a fine pencil draw horizontal lines that will touch the tops and bottoms of the bodies of the letters lines that touch the tops and bottoms of the tail and top letters and vertical lines that follow the shanks of every topped or tailed letter including the capitals the gauge when completed will represent a framework fitting the signature and its use is twofold it helps the eye to detect the variations in the general contour of the signature and when placed over another brings out the points of difference Due allowance must be made for proportion. It is obvious that the distance of letters will be greater in a signature written larger than another, but the proportionate distances will be preserved. The difference in the size of a letter is not very important, except that it offers more scope for examination. For example, a looped L may be very small or half an inch long, but if made by the same writer, the proportionate width at top, bottom, and middle will be preserved, and compare with the same measurements in the smaller letter signatures of the same writer do not often vary much in size though they may be thicker or finer according to the character of the pen used but observation will show that the difference in handwriting caused by the use of different pens is much more imaginary than real the trace signature is produced by placing the paper over the genuine autograph holding it to the light generally on a sheet of glass and tracing it with a fine point such forgeries are often more easily detected than the copied signature for the reason that signs of the tracing process can generally be found by careful examination the fine hard point used to trace the autograph leaves a smooth hollow which can be seen through the glass on examining the back of the check or a document if the paper be held in a line with the eye in a strong light the ridge will be more clearly perceived the difference between a mark made by a hard point and a pin can be tested by experiment the hard point must of necessity be pressured with a degree of force to make the desired impression on the paper and the result is a smooth hollow but if a pen be pressed hard it produces two parallel lines and instead of a hollow a ridge is formed between the parallels of course it will be so slight as to be hardly perceptible except through a strong glass but it will be there nevertheless and knowing what to look for the expert will generally have no difficulty in satisfying himself whether the forgery has been traced or copied a very valuable piece of evidence when once settled for it is within the bounds of probability that the genuine signature from which the tracing was made may be discovered it is possible and has often occurred that the writer of the original may have some recollection of having written to the suspected person or in many ways a clue may be suggested there is a well-known case of a forgery being brought home to the perpetrator through the accuracy of the tracing it is a fact easily proved that no man can write a word twice so exactly that if the two are overlaid they fit if two such signatures be produced it is safe to assume that one has been traced or otherwise mechanically produced in the case mentioned a signature on a check was pronounced a forgery by the person supposed to have signed it in examining specimens of the genuine autograph the experts came upon one which when placed upon that on the check proved a perfect replica down to the most minute details showing beyond question that it had been used to trace a forgery from 
it was further proved that the original had been in the possession of the supposed forger and the jury were asked to decide whether it was probable that a man could reproduce his signature in exact facsimile after a lapse of time and without the original before him as the chances against such a contingency are many millions to one a fact the student can verify the jury decided against the forger at the risk of appearing tautological to a tiresome degree it is necessary to accentuate the fact that the comparison of handwriting and more particularly of signatures is essentially dependent on cultivating the faculty of observation this art cannot be taught it can only be acquired by practice and experience like swimming or riding the teacher can at most indicate the method of study and some of the leading principles of conducting an investigation most men are not naturally observant and the habit can be best fostered by having an object but when once a person has been taught what to look for he almost instinctively notices details that previously never struck him this is specially true of the study of handwriting the best method of practice that can be adopted by the student is to begin by making a careful study of his own signature and writing he will be surprised at the number of facts hitherto unsuspected that will be revealed to him the value of using his own handwriting as a subject of examination lies in this that the student can satisfy himself how and why certain strokes are made this he can only guess at in the writing of others the preliminary exercise should consist in studying the effect produced by the different methods of holding the pen the signature supplies excellent material for this class of practice begin by holding the pen with the top end pointed well towards the left shoulder in the absurd and unnatural position taught by the old school of writing masters repeat the signature with the pen held a trifle less acutely angular and go on till six or eight signatures have been written at a decreasing angle until the top of the pen holder points well to the right producing what is known as a backhand the effect of these angles must be carefully noted and in short time it will be found possible to arrive at a very accurate opinion as to how the writer of a particular signature habitually holds his pen an important and valuable piece of knowledge the practice should be extended to long sentences and a frequent repetition of all the letters capital and small the magnifying glass being always used to examine the effect of the various and varying strokes in examining a signature for comparing it with a suspected forgery it should be copied very frequently as the clues and suggestions the experiments will produce are of much greater service than will at first appear and of more practical value than pages of theory as the how and why will be revealed for much that would be obscured without this assistance as experience grows it will not be necessary to adopt this copying process so often for the eye soon becomes alert at detecting slight shades of difference in strokes and a glance will convey more than could be explained in many pages chapter sixteen the expert in the witness box when the expert has been called upon to give an opinion upon the genuineness of writings he embodies his conclusions in a report of which the following may be taken as a fair example to the chief of police sir rex versus jones in accordance with your instructions dated i beg leave to inform you that i have made a careful examination of the document marked a and attached hereto and compared it with the documents marked b c d e and f also attached i have arrived at the conclusion that the document a was written by the same hand as produced b c d e and f the main reasons which have led me to form this opinion are these first although the writing in a bears at first sight no resemblance to that of the other documents the difference is only such as experience leads me to expect in a writing which has been purposely disguised as i believe this has been the writing on the five documents b to f i take to be the normal hand of the author and that on a to be the same writer's hand altered so as to present a different appearance 
I will call the specimens B to F the genuine examples and A the disguised. Experience shows that the person who writes an anonymous letter generally seeks to disguise his hand by departing as much as he deems possible from his normal writing. The usual hand of the writer of the genuine document is a free, rounded hand, sloping upwards toward the right. The writing of A presents exactly the features I would expect to find when, as appears to be the case here, the writer has adopted the familiar trick of sloping his writing in a direction opposite to his normal hand. While the result of this change is to alter the apparent style and general appearance of the writing, the alteration does not extend to certain tricks and characteristics which are plainly obvious in the genuine letters and are repeated in the anonymous letter A. The writing in the genuine letters contain fourteen very distinct and peculiarities or tricks of hand which I find repeated in the anonymous letter A. Here describe them as for example, 1. The figure 4 in the dates is always made like the print form of that figure. 2. The small e is always of the Greek form. 3. The small t is always crossed by a bar thick at the beginning, tapering to a point with its longest part behind the shank of the t, and so on. The various points of resemblance are set out in detail, a separate paragraph for each, and each paragraph numbered. It is extremely important that a report should be fully descriptive and written in plain, non-technical language, easily understood by the jury, who will have to decide whether resemblance has been made out. Too many handwriting experts spoil the effect of their evidence by employing technical language and presuming on the part of the jury an acquaintance with the methods of comparing handwritings. Do not be satisfied by saying that certain letters resemble each other. Show by an enlarged diagram how and where, indicating the parts to which attention is called by arrows. Place the single letters to be compared in, in parallel columns headed with the alphabetical letter distinguishing the document in which the particular letter occurs. Use full scat paper and write on one side of the paper only. The usual method of dealing with the handwriting expert in the witness box is shown in the following extract from a report of an actual case. Mr. D. B. was called by counsel for the prosecution and duly sworn. Question. You have had considerable experience in examining handwriting. Answer. Over twenty years. Question. Look at these documents. Hands documents to witness. Have you seen and examined these? Answer. I have. Question. Have you formed any opinion upon them? Answer. I have, and have prepared a report. In some cases, the expert is allowed to read his report in full. In others, he is requested to give a verbal report, but if the point be insisted upon, the judge generally permits the report to be read, either by the expert or by counsel. A copy of the report, together with the documents in dispute, are then usually handed to the jury for examination. The expert may proceed to illustrate his point with the aid of a blackboard and chalk, but much depends upon the attitude taken by the judge and counsel. Some judges insist that the expert shall confine himself to expressing his opinion, leaving counsel to deal with the explanation and comparison. Others give the expert every opportunity of showing how he has arrived at his opinions. The examination in chief is usually a very simple matter. The trouble for the expert begins when counsel for the other side gets up to cross-examine. In nearly every case, the object of the cross-examining counsel is to ridicule the art and get the expert to admit the possibility of other writers possessing the same peculiarities which are said to distinguish the letters before the court. Counsel's favorite trick is to select some letter and ask the expert if he is prepared to swear that he has never seen something just like it in some other person's writing. 
the expert who knows his business will insist on keeping well to the front the bedrock basis of handwriting comparison which is the application of the law of probability to cumulative evidence it is not a question whether some other person may be in the habit of making a t or a k similar to those cited as evidences of common origin but whether it is probable that two persons should make a dozen or more letters in precisely the same way under similar circumstances and exhibit precisely the same peculiarities of style he shall reply with the unanswerable postulate that millions of persons possess red hair snub noses a scar on the face blue eyes bent fingers and a stammer but is millions to one against any two persons possessing all six of these peculiarities in the course of his replies the expert may justifiably help his own case by repeating when opportunity occurs such irrefutable axioms as no writer can say offhand what peculiarities he may exhibit that there are scores of ways of dotting an i or crossing a t and that few persons know which forms they mostly affect fifty such points may be gathered from this little volume alone while acquaintance with the works of other writers on calligraphy will supply ample ammunition for meeting and repelling the customary form of attack on the handwriting expert another method of discrediting a witness is to remind him that experts have differed the dreyfus case being usually cited the answer is obvious first it is essential to be assured that those experts were all competent for there are degrees of competency in judging handwriting as in every other subject on which opinion may be called it is a notorious fact that in the dreyfus case the most competent experts testified that the henry letters were forgeries the authorities called on the other side being in most cases unknown men or amateurs of no standing a number of these self-styled experts possess no other qualification than presumed familiarity with the handwriting of dreyfus it is also worthy of note that several of the experts on both sides proved most inefficient witnesses obscuring their explanations by the employment of technical phraseology which conveyed little meaning to the lay mind exactitude and regularity in the choice of the words used in describing the parts of letters should be strictly observed by the student the rules given in the chapter on terminology should be mastered and adhered to in most cases the terms there applied to letter analysis will be found to be self-explanatory chapter seventeen handwriting and expression no work dealing with the study of handwriting would be complete unless it recognized that phase of it which touches on the delineation of character by an examination of the calligraphy that many valuable clues can be picked up by the expert who applies the principles on which the graphologist works is indisputable nor is it necessary to accept all the theories claimed as reliable by those whose practice this interesting branch of the art of writing analysis there is no doubt that many persons have attained a remarkable degree of proficiency in deducing from the hand gestures of an unknown person a very accurate estimate of his or her character and this fact should prove that the principles of the art of graphology are based on scientific grounds or at least that the rules on which the student works are regular and not as some suggest mere guesswork or coincidence the elder Disraeli, in his fascinating work the curiosities of literature devotes considerable space to the subject among other things he says assuredly nature would prompt every individual to have a distinct sort of writing as she has given a peculiar countenance a voice and a manner the flexibility of the muscles differ with each every individual and the hand will follow the direction of the thoughts and the emotions and the habits of the writers the phlegmatic will portray his words with signs of labor and deliberation while the playful haste of the volatile will scarcely sketch him the slovenly will blot and deface and scrawl while the neat and orderly minded will view themselves in the paper before their eyes the merchant's clerk will not write like the lawyer or the poet even nations are distinguished by their writing 
the vivacity and variableness of the Frenchman, and the delicacy and suppleness of the Italian, are perceptibly distinct from the slowness and strength of pen discoverable in the phlegmatic German, Dane, and Swede. When we are in grief, we do not write as we should enjoy. The elegant and correct mind, which has acquired the fortunate habit of a fixity of attention, will write with scarcely an erasure on the page, as Fenelon and Gibbon, while we find in Pope's manuscripts the perpetual struggle of correction, and the eager and rapid interlineation struck off in heat. Lavater's notion of handwriting is by no means chimerical, nor was General Paoli fanciful when he told Mr. Northcote he had decided on the character and disposition of the man from his letters and the handwriting. Long before the days of Lavater Shinstone, in one of his letters, said, I want to see Mrs. Jago's writing that I may judge of her temper. One great truth must, however, be conceded to the opponents of the physiognomy of handwriting. General rules only can be laid down, yet the vital principle must be true that the handwriting bears an analogy to the character of the writer, as all voluntary actions are characteristic of the individual. <laughs> Professor Foley, in his very useful work, Handwriting as an Index to Character, London, C. A. Pearson Limited, says, The changes which handwriting undergoes as maturity is reached prove how directly it is influenced by the nervous condition of the writer. The writing proper to childhood is large, round, and accompanied by a labored pen movement, whereas that which is normal as manhood or womanhood is attained is smaller and turned off by a more rapid and fluent motion of the hand. Illness again affects the writing. As the hand is charged with more or less of the nerve fluid, so the writing is stronger or weaker, firmer or feebler, as the case may be. This goes to show the important influence which the nerve current exerts in fashioning the handwriting. Small wonder that our handwriting alters day by day. Yet it does not alter either. So far as its general appearance is concerned, I grant it seems to do so. But look at the really significant points of the writing written at different times. Give a glance at the height at which the I is dotted, the way in which the T is barred, the manner in which the letters are, or are not, connected and finished off. These things will crop up with unerring uniformity time after time. You do, of course, get a studied handwriting now and then, just as you sometimes meet with a foreign facial expression, but that does not express a true character. Simply because a control over the feelings or the power of disguising what is felt is a salient point in the character, and this very fact will serve to show that there is truth in graphology. That the pen, whether it be a fine or a broad-pointed nib, plays a certain part in determining the thickness or thinness of the strokes, I am willing to allow, but here again we have no argument against graphology, for most people have their favorite nib, just as they prefer one occupation to another, and this is the one which will best serve to define their characteristics. The same with the surface of the paper upon which they write. Some will select a smooth, others a rough kind, but whatever that may be which is adopted with comfort, it will be typical of the writer. The following are some of the more marked signs of the character they indicate. For a fuller exposition of their application, it would be well to study the work of Foley, before mentioned, and of Rosa Baum, Upcott Gill, London, 2S, 6D, with the scholarly work of J. Crepieux Jeannet, entitled Handwriting and Expression, translated by J. Holt Schooling. General Characteristic The fineness of an organism will be revealed by a fine light pen stroke course, low natures make heavy, blurred, entangled lines. Activity is denoted but by the length of the letters. Where it is feeble, the letters will be widely spaced and rounded. Excitability is shown by sharp strokes and stops. The more acute and irregular the pen strokes, the greater the intensity of feeling. 
aggression which is the inclination to attack the destructive force is indicated by the final strokes of letters and the crossbars of t's advancing well forward the dots of the i's placed well forward in such a word as time the dot would probably be between the m and e the style is angular and well and evenly spaced altogether forward go ahead writing economy or acquisitiveness is shown by the finishing strokes being turned backwards and inwards by cramped hand a disposition to curtail strokes particularly the endings of letters as if the expenditure of ink was begrudged secretiveness or extra caution has its sign in the narrow tightly closed form of the body of the letters a d g o q the a and o often being merely a narrow v the general tendency of the writing is to compression the final strokes being very short when very marked the letters dwindle into an indistinct uniform condition the substitution of dashes for punctuation is another symptom insincerity beware of the man or woman whose writing is a fine wavy line upright with short stumpy and indistinct tops and tails words running at their end to an almost straight line the letters merely indicated the flatter finer and more perpendicular this writing the greater this insincerity such a writer would probably be a polite pleasing and plausible person but double-faced as janus love of praise glory ambition are shown by a tendency to write upwards the lines of writing trending towards the right-hand corner of the paper the signature will usually have a curved line below it with a degree of flourish self-esteem to which is allied conceit and ostentation shows itself in proportion to the size of the writing the taller and more flourish the upstrokes and the longer the downstrokes the greater the self-assertiveness the flourish beneath the signature will be very pronounced often an elaborate spider's web of interlaced lines the writing is more or less angular with the finals turned backwards and inwards Willpower is shown by firm bars to the t with a tendency to descend from left to right bludgeoning like downstrokes to tailed letters writing rather angular than rounded and the final strokes finished by heavy pressure straight firm downward strokes take the place of the tails to y g f q sympathy good nature kindness of heart are shown by flowing open hand the finals of the letters being extended and thrown out with an expansive movement the tailed letters are long and looped and often turned up the right side of the letter the letters are well apart but not necessarily unconnected and the style is curved as a general rule hard matter affect natures inclined to an angular style the artistic and softer nature affects rounded gracefully curved strokes and avoids straight perpendiculars or horizontals constructiveness which implies the ability to combine and connect words and phrases is shown by joining the words together several being written without lifting the pen from the paper the more simple and ingenuous the method of attaching the words the greater will be the ability when this joining of words is carried to extremes it may be taken as a sign of good deductive judgment observation by which is implied the keen penetrating inquiring mind which in excess becomes curiosity is marked by angularity of the strokes and finals a small generally neat handwriting with the letters disconnected punctuation affords a very valuable clue to character reading for reasons set out in the chapter how to study a handwriting they are the most mechanical and unpremeditated of hand gestures and are therefore the more valuable when for example a dot is thick and heavy we infer that the pen has been driven across the paper with a strong decided movement of the hand which would be consistent with extreme energy and will-power whereas when the dot is light and faintly indicated we may be certain that only a moderate force has been expended upon its production which would be compatible with less resistance and endurance in the character 
again a dot whose outlines were blurred would show a certain sensuousness of character strong passions and a want of restraint over the lower propensities whereas a dot whose edges were sharply defined would tell of refinement and a loathing against all that was coarse or vulgar careful attention to punctuation indicates neatness order method and love of arrangement nor is it necessary that the punctuation should be strictly correct for the art is but imperfectly mastered by most people even the best educated stops that partake of the appearance of a comma indicate a degree of impetuosity well-rounded stops imply calmness and tranquillity of temperament when the full stops are fashioned after the form of a comma and droop towards the right hand they indicate a tendency to sulkiness when they are merely angular we may infer of impatiency and a peppery disposition flourishes are always indicative of a certain amount of assertiveness the simpler the flourish the less artificial this self-insistence the more elaborate the greater the desire to seem what one is not end of the detection of forgery by douglas blackburn recording by ginger cuculo 